0: Luke chapter 9, uh, as Daniel said at the start of the service, this marks the beginning of Jesus' final journey to Jerusalem. So chapter 9, beginning at verse 51, which is on page 1040. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem and he sent messengers messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them then he and his disciples went to another village.
1: What is it like to live on your road? If someone was moving into the house a few doors down, they might ask you that question. What is it like to live on your road? You could tell them about the roadworks that are supposed to have happened about three months ago, but still are in progress. You might tell them what days the bins are being collected. You might tell them what the neighbours are like. And depending on how you answer those questions, that might well affect uh, whether they move in or not. If someone thinks about moving into my road, then I'm going to tell them that it's really well looked after, but early on a Saturday morning, you have to be ready for a very, very loud leaf blower every single time, way too early. In the middle section of Luke, um, chapter 9, verse 51, all the way through to 19, verse 44, we learn what life is like on Discipleship Road. Most of the first nine chapters of this gospel, they take place in the towns, in the villages, around the Sea of Galilee, and that's in the north. But now, from this point on, we get chapter after chapter of a long winding journey south. Take chapter 10 as an example. Verse 1, it mentions every town and place he, Jesus, was about to go. And lots of the following stories start in a very similar way. But this isn't a road that Jesus is going to take alone. Chapter 10 again, verse 38, it begins, as Jesus and his disciples went on their way. So this is a long, winding journey that Jesus takes along with his disciples. He's often going to be training them and teaching them, and they're going to learn through this journey what it's like to be a follower of Jesus. And of course, this is going to be immensely helpful for people like us. If you're thinking about becoming a Christian, then learning more about this discipleship road will help you make your mind up. This is what the Christian life is like. Do you want to step on this path? And if you're already a Christian, this series is going to teach you how to walk more closely with Jesus. And I trust that that is something we all long for. Of course, there are other big themes in the Gospel of Luke, um, things that we can be looking out for. Watch out for eyewitness accounts and scriptures fulfilled that give us certainty about what we've been taught. Also, pay attention whenever you see an outcast or someone who's poor or someone who's unlikely, an unlikely candidate for God's grace. um, So often we're going to see good news for people like that. But for now, let's focus on Discipleship Road. What is it like Uh, We've got two answers in these short verses. Firstly, what is discipleship road like? It leads to Jerusalem. If we're thinking about getting on discipleship road, or if we want to walk more closely with Jesus, we need to know that it leads to Jerusalem. It's already been mentioned that verse 51, it's a really big turning point in the book. We'll put it up on the screen As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. We know the son of God, he came down from heaven and his return is just around the corner. Earlier in this very same chapter, Jesus had taken some of his closest friends up a mountain to pray And as they prayed, Jesus' appearance shone like lightning. He shone. And the disciples, they watched on as Elijah and Moses appeared in conversation with Jesus. And what were they talking about? They were talking about his departure, which was about to happen. So he's going to be taken up to heaven. He's going to depart. The clock is ticking and Jesus knows it. What would, you, um, what would you do if you knew your time was running out? Would you quit the job in order to spend more time with family and friends? Would you take that trip to Australia that you've been putting off for years, that you always said that you'd take? Under such circumstances, with finite time remaining, I think I'm right in saying that all of us would focus on what is most important. And that is exactly what Jesus does in this verse here. Knowing that his time is short, he focuses on his main priority. This translation here, it it captures the meaning well, but other versions retain the original figure of speech. Jesus steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. It's as if from this point onwards in the gospel, Jesus has got blinkers on. You know, those things that horses wear to make sure they're looking in one direction. His face is set. His mission is clear. He must go to Jerusalem. He's going to return to heaven, but he knows the path there goes through Jerusalem. And the point here is not that Jerusalem is all that special. Unless Dan has some plans I'm not aware of. At no point in this service are we all going to turn to the southeast in order to pray. I don't believe that's something you're planning on doing. Jesus is setting his face to Jerusalem because of what he's going to do there. Jesus said it himself earlier in this chapter, chapter 9, verse 22. The son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus knew that these were things that must happen. And so he sets his face towards Jerusalem because that's the place where these people are going to crucify him. Let's pause there. Jesus was a very good teacher. And yet he never set his face towards the classroom. Jesus was a very good man. And yet he never set his face towards the hospital. He set his face towards Jerusalem because above everything else, his priority was dying on the cross. In the classroom, Jesus can educate you. In the hospital, Jesus can heal you. But on the cross, Jesus can save you forever And that is his priority. This really is the first and most important thing we need to know about Discipleship Road. It leads to Jerusalem, or in other words, it leads to the cross. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, set your face towards the cross. This is the only way that you can start your journey with him. All of us, every single one of us started on a very, very different path, leading in the opposite direction to discipleship road, leading towards a place of destruction. Becoming a Christian means turning around and saying, I don't want to go that way anymore. I want to go Jesus' way. But you must set your face towards the cross as well. The cross is the only place that you will ever find the power to take the next step in the right direction. And the cross is the only place that you will find the freedom of forgiveness for every wrong step, for every stumble. None of us are strangers to the dark parts of sin. All of us are limping in some way from many a fall. But with our faces set towards the cross of Christ, we find forgiveness every debt paid, past, present, and future. And you, my friend, could start this journey with Jesus today. You really could. I'm going to pray a prayer of turning and of trust now, and you might like to make that prayer your own. Lord God, I turn from my own way to follow Jesus I turn to his cross and I ask that you would forgive me. Please give me the strength for every step until you take me up to heaven to be with you forever. Amen. Set your face to the cross. And if you're a Christian, set your face towards the cross. If you want to walk more closely with Jesus, set your face towards the cross it is so easy for other priorities to creep in. We know this, don't we? But the Christian life should always be cross-shaped. I think this is, it's obvious that our prayers and our Bible study should be cross-shaped. It's obvious, but it is important. Um, our prayers can often become just lists of requests, can't they? Um, but in our prayers, come to the cross Thank Jesus for the cross. Trust in the cross. Every prayer, surely, we should be talking about Jesus dying for us. And when we're studying God's word, where does this passage, wherever we are in the Bible, where does it fit in the story that leads towards Jesus' death and resurrection? That is the best way to study the Bible. It's all heading in that direction. When you're in your small and local groups, um, you know, bring the cross into the conversation. It's uh, it's a wonderfully fruitful thing to do. But beyond that as well, discipleship road leads to cross-shaped work life as well. Um, when we set our face towards the cross in the workplace, we are empowered to sacrifice and serve others. But also we remember that our worth is not measured by our success in the workplace or our wage packet or whether we get the promotion or not. Discipleship road for Christians should mean cross-shaped relationships as well. The cross helps us to love the undeserving. The cross helps to forgive those that don't deserve to be forgiven. And the cross helps us to love people without needing Them for affirmation to build our own self esteem, relying on their praise. Discipleship Road leads to the cross. And secondly, Discipleship Road is paved with mercy. Let's uh, put that up there. Great. So Jesus has begun his journey to Jerusalem, but it's not going to be a short journey, and he doesn't actually have anywhere to stay. So what does he do? He sends messengers ahead of him to get things ready. And uh, specifically in this story, he sends messengers ahead to a particular Samaritan village. Their job is to get things ready. And that means letting people know he's coming. That means explaining Jesus' message. That means arranging hospitality. This is what these messengers do. And it's worth noting as we read in verse 52 that this is a Samaritan village. you may know that um, relationships back then between Jewish people and Samaritans were icy at best. Part of the Samaritan ancestry went back to the northern kingdom of Israel. They kept a kind of nominal allegiance to the true God, but over the years, as they'd married with people of other religions, they'd allowed false gods and pagan practices to get mixed into their religion. They weren't God's people anymore, but there remained this kind of terrible half-sibling rivalry. And so, First century Jewish people, if they were traveling from Galilee in the north to Jerusalem in the south, they'd regularly go miles out of their way to avoid this region. And yet Jesus is different. For Jesus, he wants to come to these Samaritan people. Those historic racial barriers, they mean nothing to Jesus. However, verse 53 The people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. How tragic. Here comes Jesus on his way to the cross, bringing with him the hope of forgiveness, willing to overcome every human barrier. And yet this village says, no, not here, no way. They deplatform him. They cancel him from all their venues. They shut their doors in his face, all because They couldn't look past their prejudice and preconceived ideas of a Jewish person like Jesus heading towards Jerusalem. And more than tragic, can you see how this is just utterly, utterly wrong? Slamming the door in the face of the one who gives them breath, shutting their ears to the eternal word of God, shaking their fists at the king of kings himself. It's just not right. Let's put verses 54 and 55 up on the screen. James and John, they see this rejection and they are furious. You know that feeling where you see injustice and the pressure and the heat just rises in you. Well, these guys, their blood is boiling. Their blood is boiling. They're furious and full of zeal for justice. They say to Jesus, Lord, Do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? They've recently seen Elijah, remember, on top of that mountain. And so perhaps they're thinking back to 2 Kings chapter 1. Um, There, Elijah did call down fire from heaven on soldiers who were disrespecting God's name and coming to arrest his prophet. On that occasion, God did answer. Fire did come down from heaven. So James and John think this might be an appropriate thing uh, to do this time as well. But picture the scene. Jesus and his disciples, they're walking back down the road, away from this village that has rejected them. James and John, they're a couple of steps behind Jesus when they make this suggestion. And how does Jesus respond? He turns and rebukes them. He stops these guys in their tracks. He looks them in the eye and says, like, guys, you're just, you're just way off here. I do think it's interesting that the, the verse mentions that Jesus turns. I'm struck by that fact. He really stops these guys in their tracks to highlight that this is a rebuke that they really, really need to hear well. So let's stop in our tracks as well. Two important applications from this rebuke. This rebuke in, um, in verse 55, it should make us thankful. I think for a lot of us, and I'm including myself here, our initial reaction to James and John's suggestion is kind of to laugh. Calling down fire from heaven seems like a comedic overreaction And so when we read of Jesus rebuking them, we say, well, yeah, obviously. But that's not the right way to read this story. That reading shows that we underestimate the honor due to Jesus' name. That reading shows that we underestimate the seriousness of God's judgment, God's righteous judgment. Heavenly fire is an appropriate response to earthly rebellion. An Elijah-like ministry of judgment would have been right on that village, on me, on you. Because all of us have shut the door in Jesus' face. All of us, at some point or other, have shaken our fists at the King of Kings and shut our ears to the eternal word of God. But Jesus came on a mission of mercy. Mercy. His rebuke to James and John was not, no, that's wrong. His rebuke to James and John was, no, that's not what I'm here for. Regardless of what people deserve, Jesus came to save. Jesus came and the floodgates of God's mercy were flung open and a gracious tide engulfed the world. We should be so thankful for that. How many times did Jesus call before you answered? When we read this rebuke, our response should be, few, I am so thankful that Jesus is merciful because I deserve God's judgment. This rebuke should make us thankful. And this rebuke should make us merciful. Um, Remember the middle section of Luke it's, uh, it's showing us what discipleship road is like. Jesus walks this path a few steps ahead of us and his disciples follow in his steps. So how might we embody the mercy of Jesus here? How about refusing to write someone off the first time or the second time or the seventh time they hear the gospel? Refusing to write them off. They may have slammed the door in your face. They may have slammed the door in Jesus' face. But Christ-like mercy means we won't give them what they deserve. Is there someone you need to give a second or seventh chance to? Another way that we could follow this mercy-paved road is by walking towards the outsider. The road we were born on, it avoids Samaria. It avoids Samaria because of prejudice and culture. But discipleship road leads straight through. It leads towards the homeless, towards the difficult, into the culture clash. I think we're quite familiar with thinking of mercy as towards the undeserving. But mercy in the Bible, and specifically in the life of Jesus, is so often towards the unlikely. So follow Jesus by moving towards the needy, towards those in distress, towards those who aren't like you. What is discipleship road like? Let's put our titles back up there for us. It leads to the cross and it's paved with mercy. If you want to walk more closely with Jesus, this is the way to go. And if you're thinking about beginning your walk with Jesus, great. These verses are full of mercy for you. These verses are full of second chances. But don't miss the significance of verse 56. Jesus didn't judge that village, but he did move on elsewhere. If Jesus is calling you this morning, you really should respond because you don't know when he'll call again. Let's take a moment of quiet as we think about how we might respond to this message, how we might be thankful for Christ's mercy, how we might embody it ourselves. Father God, we confess our sin. We confess that you would be entirely right and good to judge us. And yet, thank you so much for the mercy of Christ. Thank you that on the cross, he flung open the floodgates of your mercy And thank you that as we trust in him, we are caught up in that tide, even to heaven itself. Please help us to walk this road. Please help us to embody this mercy. We pray that your spirit would show us, even today, how we can show pity and compassion to the undeserving and the unlikely. Please help us to walk towards those who are not like us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to.